0: if you will. Let's go to Psalm 126 this evening. About halfway through now, about halfway through the the Songs of Ascent, those 15 songs um, from Psalm 120 to Psalm 135. Uh, This is the seventh one. These songs that God's people Israel would sing as they traveled as families from all over Israel up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord at one of the feasts he commanded them to observe. This one, Psalm 126, might be one of the newer ones among the 15. Uh, Its content indicates that it was probably written after the exile. Uh, So, you know, that's that time in Israel's history when uh, most of the people were taken as captives uh, by Assyria, and then Assyria got conquered by the Babylonian Empire, but they were still there as captives, and then Babylonians got conquered by the Persian Empire, and they were finally allowed to return back to Israel under the Persian Empire, you know, um, Nehemiah, the time of Ezra. And this song here, it celebrates their deliverance from captivity, and it also expresses the demeanor of those Who have been delivered, and it lets us know what God demands of those who have experienced deliverance. So let's read it. Let's read Psalm 126 and then ask God's blessing as we study it together. It says, When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue with singing. And they said among then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these six verses here. Thank you for this seventh song that your people used to sing as they would travel to worship you together. And uh, I pray that tonight, as we study the lyrics of this song, um, you would remind us of the amazing grace that's ours in Jesus Christ and you delivering us. Lord, I I pray that our demeanor would match theirs, that our mouths would be filled with laughter, our tongues with singing because of the deliverance we have in Jesus. And and Father, I pray that um, what you demand of us as followers of Christ, that we would be out making disciples that we would see that as our life's work until uh, you return or call us home. I pray that we would be uh, burdened to do that, to see others experience the deliverance we have in Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. So if you look at verse 1. It says, when the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. And we're told right there, the time period for this psalm, it's when God brought his people back uh, from their captivity. We're also told the theme uh, of this psalm, and it's the joy of you and I being delivered. It says, we were like them that dream. And so that communicates uh, how unbelievable this deliverance was for them. It is uh, somewhat like that welling up of emotion that you feel uh, when something you thought was too good to be true actually becomes a reality for you. I don't know if that makes sense. That's what it's talking about there when it says we were like them, that that dream. And I I want you to try, try to enter into that uh, emotion right here tonight. Uh, To do that, it's going to require you to do the same thing that's being described here. Can you think back? To that time, it might have been a few years ago, it might have been decades ago, but think back to that time when you were delivered from captivity. Of course, I I don't know everybody's situation, but I don't think anybody here has experienced that from uh, an invading army or from some criminal or with nefarious intent. Of course, I'm talking about the captivity uh, that you and I were in before we were saved. Uh, the bondage that we were imprisoned in back before we heard the gospel, we heard who Jesus is and what he did for us, and then we decided to trust in him as Savior. Do you remember that moment? Go back to that day. Think back to that time right now. Wasn't that deliverance wonderful? Do you remember how you felt that day? I mean, wonderful, full of wonder. That wasn't the good news of the gospel. The, the fact that while because of your sin, you, you deserved death and hell forever, that that didn't need to be your, your destiny because Jesus Christ took your punishment in your place. And, and by faith in him, you could have new life in Christ right now, and eternal life with him in heaven forever one coming day. It wasn't the good news of the gospel almost too good to be true? But you found out it was true and you placed your faith in Jesus, and you were born again. You remember how that felt? Because that's the emotion that's being described here in verse 1 by God's people. Uh, the Lord had promised them that if they continued to sin and continued to worship other false gods, he would allow them to be conquered. He'd allow them to be carried away into captivity in a faraway far away land. Um, when that happened, their sense of closeness to him Uh, their ability to worship him, everything, really everything that they knew and they held dear would change or would be taken away. And that's exactly what happened. But God in his grace, he he wasn't just doing that as a punishment, but also as a discipline to bring them back into relationship with him. And that's clear because even before he he had them carried away, he told them exactly how long it was going to be. He told them the timeline of the duration for their captivity. And through the prophets, God told them that eventually their hearts would turn to him in that foreign land and he would bring them back. That's what's being described here. This song, this opening verse is celebrating God's faithfulness and doing just that. And they can't really comprehend how unbelievable it was, how that without a question, it was a God thing. Now, some of you know the accounts of what's being described here. We go back to Ezra and Nehemiah and books like that. Even Esther to, I mean, that was right before this happened. But um, God didn't just let them come back. He he actually funded the trip by the Persian king and government, didn't he? I mean, that's a God thing. That's that's like a dream. Nehemiah returns to Jerusalem to rebuild the city wall. And not only is his trip authorized, But it's funded, it's guarded by a contingent of Persian soldiers. It was almost like a dream. It was too good to be true, but it was true. And so is our own deliverance in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. I mean, let us never, let's make sure that we never let the years that might have passed since we were saved, let us never allow the deliverance that's ours in Jesus Christ become mundane. You and I, like thinking it's even deserved. Because it's nothing other than God's amazing grace to us. That's what it is. Verses 2 through 4, it describes the demeanor of those who were delivered. How, how did this deliverance impact them? Verse 2 says, well, then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. I want to just pick that apart. If God's delivered you, Christian, uh, this description ought, ought to also be your demeanor. Now, I don't know if there's anything worse than a Christian who's, who's got no joy Now, I'll tell you this. uh, If their demeanor is joyless, uh, their testimony of being delivered is pretty unconvincing. Uh, And I'm not saying that a Christian can never experience sorrow or sadness. Um, Even though we're delivered, we live in a world uh, where the effects of sin run rampant. There are things that happen to us that make being joyful, full of joy. It makes that difficult. Uh, And I already mentioned Nehemiah. That happened to the people of God who had been brought back from captivity uh, then too. The the temple was being rebuilt and the people gathered to worship together again. God's word was read. And when that happened, they realized how horribly that they had been in rebellion against God. Now they weren't now, uh, but they had started to think back about how they had lived before they had turned to the Lord and tells us that they all started weeping. And do you know what Nehemiah told them in Nehemiah 8.10? He said, do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your what? Your strength. They had already confessed their sins. They had already repented. They didn't need to be dwelling on what had already been forgiven and allowing that to cause them sorrow. Now was a time for their mouth to be filled with laughter. Now understand that there are seasons for sorrow. God makes that much clearer and In the book of Job, in Ecclesiastes 3, 4, there is a time to weep. But don't forget to finish that verse. There's also a time for laughter. And even in the midst of trials and tribulations, even um, when we're going through persecution or problems, if we have been delivered from sin and death and hell by God's grace to us in Jesus Christ, that's a source of joy. That's a source of joy for us. Uh, it means our Lord has taken care of our most serious problem. Uh, we have reason for our mouths to be filled with laughter. Uh, there's a book in the Old Testament that describes a lot of sorrow, uh, and it's also about the captivity of God's people. In fact, the book it has got a sad name, uh, Lamentations. And, and I don't do this often, but will you just turn uh, forward there? Lamentations chapter 3 And and I want to just read a couple of verses there because I think it's important. and bears what we're reading here in Psalm 126. But uh, Lamentations chapter 3, I I think that is the chapter where the most treasured verses in this entire uh, book of the Bible are found. Lamentations chapter 3, and I'm just going to read verses 13 through 24. Starting verse 13, he, and he's talking about God here, he has caused the arrows of his quiver to pierce my loins. I have become the ridicule of all my people, their taunting song all the day. He has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drink wormwood. He has also broken my teeth with gravel and covered me with ashes. You have moved my soul far from peace. I have forgotten prosperity. And I said my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. And then he prays in verse 19, remember my affliction and roaming, the wormwood and the gall, my soul still remembers and sinks within me. Now watch this, because there's a big transition here in verse 21. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I hope in him. Well, that was quite an emotional turnaround, wasn't it? I mean, everything before verse 21, and then what follows there. Um, what caused the change in demeanor here for Jeremiah, the human author got inspired to write, Lamentations? You know, verse 21, this I recall to mind, and therefore I have hope. So may I suggest, we can go back to Psalm 26 now, may I suggest then by the, by the testimony of Scripture that if we're struggling with the joy that we're supposed to have as our demeanor, as the delivered, that we should do the same thing, that we should recall to mind that which is the source of our deliverance and hope, that we should recall to mind the salvation that's ours in Jesus Christ, God's deliverance of us. And when the joy of the Lord is in our heart, our mouth will be filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Praise is going to just naturally erupt from the hearts of those whose minds are recalling their salvation. Tongues are going to be filled with singing when we meditate on the deliverance we have in Jesus Christ. There's not a single reason for you and I not to sing, not when God commanded it. Um, now, you might say, well, Jason, you don't, you don't know how bad my voice is. I hear you um, <laughs> sing, just maybe less loudly, <laughs> right? Um, and I would point you to the question God posed to Moses, who made your mouth? Who made your vocal cords? Who made your inability to carry a tune in a bucket? God did. And because he has delivered you, he wants your mouth filled with singing. Now, before we move on to the rest of verse two, um, there is something interesting here. Uh, And the Wednesday night crew is not really the people I need to preach at about the importance of assembling together for worship. But let me just point out, because that's exactly uh, what's being taught here. Uh, The demeanor, uh, this demeanor of joy over our deliverance, all this fullness of laughter and singing, if, if we look here uh, in verse 2, it's from a mouth and a tongue in the Hebrew. Now, I know some of you might have modern translations, and it says mouths and tongues, uh, but in the Hebrew, it's a singular, singular noun. And uh, so I'm not saying those modern translations are wrong. I just don't think they're the best English translation. And I believe it misses an additional point. God is trying to have us uh, understand here. Uh, This is to be a unified expression of joy, a unified song that you sing with everybody as you assemble together for worship. Uh, God wants that joy expressed. Uh, And that has an effect on the unsaved. It does. It does. Um, unbelievers are impacted not just by God's great deliverance of us, but also by our joyful celebration of that deliverance. Our gospel witness is affected by the demeanor of the delivered. Isn't that what the rest of verse 2 tells us? It says, Then they said among the nations, when God delivered us, when our mouths were filled with laughter, when we were full of joy of God's deliverance, then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Then, Jesus, follower, that's a powerful thing to consider. That that unbelievers, their ability to recognize the reality of our deliverance and the gospel we share, it depends to some degree on our demeanor. Whether or not we're joyful as a Christian. It's pretty tough to get somebody to believe the good news when you live like you haven't heard any in a while. Think about that. Uh, Verse 3, it has a psalmist agreeing with the unbeliever. And I hope that's what happens for each one of us here tonight. I hope we agree. Yeah, the Lord has done great things for us. He has, and we are glad. Are you glad? Yes. Well, let's sing. You can join with me, all right? I will enter his courts with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is a day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. That's what it says. Verse 3. And we are glad. Now let's look at verse 4. This is interesting because it says, Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. And I'm like, well, I thought... They had already been delivered. Well, not all of them. <laughs> not all at once. Um, just as not all of us were saved at the same time. Some of us might have been saved as a little one. Some of us took a little longer for the gospel to get into our heads and move down to our hearts. Um, and that's what it's talking about here. Um, God's people returned from exile in phases in groups over time. And here the psalmist is among those who has already experienced God's saving deliverance, but he's praying here that others would also, that God would save others who are in captivity. Is that your heart? Is that your prayer? Uh, The prayer here is that God would do that just like the streams of the south. And, And the picture here is of the Negev area in Israel, south of Jerusalem, down by the Dead Sea, just desert. Desert And in that location, they have these dry stream beds that that are called wadis. And they're dry for about 11 months out of the year. But in autumn, in the rainy season, rain will pour down and those things will turn into raging torrential rivers. And that's what the psalmist wants to see. He wants to see, for, for those who are in the dry desert, in this parched land of captivity, he wants them to experience God's deliverance. He wants them to turn to the Lord and in a number like a raging river. Do we want to see that kind of thing happen? And I hope so. I hope verse four is our prayer. The, the only joy that is comparable to you and I being delivered ourselves is when we witness or maybe God uses us um, to help somebody else turn to faith in Christ. It's like your joy in Christ is being redoubled when somebody else decides to receive Jesus as Savior. And, and let's not forget that's the demand for those who have been delivered. The demand is that we plant seeds that God can use in the deliverance of others. The demand is our, our participation in the Great Commission. And you know, One of the most common metaphors or written object lessons that we find in the Bible is this uh, agricultural-themed one that we find in verses 5 and 6, one of sowing and reaping. And this one's a little different than most of the others because these verses talk about tears, and I talk about weeping in that context. Now, I know I have mentioned this to you before, I don't know if it was Wednesday night year, years ago, Sunday night, months ago, I don't remember. But uh, often we take these two verses out of context uh, of this entire psalm, and when we do that, it can make it difficult for us to understand what God's communicating to us here. So let me ask you a question. Um, in planting seeds? and some of you are farmers or you come from a farm background, in planting seeds or in farming in general, is there anything particularly sad in and of itself? I mean, just in being a farmer? Is there anything particularly sad? I mean, this is a time of the year when most of us who garden, I know Scott and Mary do, and I attempt to, uh, most of us are planting that. Maybe we're starting seeds in trays. It's not a sad time. Uh, It's a hopeful time. My mind is usually filled way too optimistically with what I'm going to harvest throughout the summer. And I'll take some of these over to you and I'll take some of these over to you and I usually don't have any come that time, right? Um, but no, there's nothing inherently sad about farming or sowing. Um, and that being the case, why all this talk about sowing and tears and continually going forth weeping, bearing precious seed and sowing. Sowing in tears and continually going forth weeping, bearing precious seed and sowing. But why the connection between sorrow and sowing? Well, let's move from the metaphor to the main thing. What's being talked about here? What is sowing? In Jesus' parable, um, what were they sowing? It's the word of God, right? Or sowing the seed, and the seed was the gospel. It's the word of God. So, yeah, sowing is sharing God's word. It's being involved in, in God's work. It's being active in the Great Commission. It's you and I making disciples. Maybe in your ministry as a Sunday school teacher. Uh, maybe in your, your ministry in Awana or VBS or, you know, however you, you're involved uh, through our church or even outside of it. It's being faithful to, to share the gospel with your coworkers and your neighbors, and is any of that sad? I suppose it can be at some times. Uh, but that's rare in my experience. And most of the time, whenever I'm doing that kind of thing, it's one of the most joyful moments of my life. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm glad VBS is a week long and that's it. But uh, it's a joyful time. When I'm in cubbies every other Sunday night. It's a joyful time, right? Most of the time. Yeah. It's a joyful time. So what, I don't, what, what's, what is God talking about? It's something I love to do. It's a source of blessing for me. But here's where I think the sorrow and the sowing connect. Sometimes life in general is sorrowful, isn't it? Yeah, we know that. Even for farmers. And when it is, can they sit in the recliner and sort out their feelings? Can they um, just wait and take a break till they feel more joy before they get out there and plant seeds? Can they... Uh, wait before they get out there and feed the livestock or weed or fertilize. Not if, not if they want to harvest, they can't. No. And I think that's a picture here. It's a picture of the delivered. You and I who have been delivered. We're sowing in tears. We're continually going forth, weeping, while bearing precious seed for sowing. And that's what we're to do. Uh, when we are joyful and when we're not, when we're sorrowful, if we want to reap in joy, because that's the promise, and if we want to come again with rejoicing, bringing our sheaves with us, let's in closing, let's just think about Jesus. Let's look to Him for example. When was Jesus sorrowful, full of sorrow? Is there ever a time in His life when He was full of sorrow? Are you in the garden, right? Yeah, in the garden. What was He doing in that situation? Was He sowing? Was He planting seeds during that time? Yeah, he's praying, so he's teaching his disciples about the importance of prayer, especially in really difficult times in your life. He's teaching his disciples in that moment when he's full of sorrow. He's teaching them about being vigilant during times of temptation. And we can move forward. Their resting party. They come to, to get Jesus. Peter lops off an ear. Is Jesus still sorrowful? Is he planting seeds? And then says, then Jesus said to Peter, put up your sword in the sheath. The cup which my father has given me, shall I not drink it? Is Jesus planting seeds? He's teaching Peter about the commitment that's required in the Christian life. He's teaching Peter about enduring difficult circumstances. He's teaching Peter about trusting in God's sovereignty. Yeah, Jesus is sowing seeds. He's making disciples. We could go a little forward. He's hanging on the cross in his final moments. Definitely sorrowful experiencing pain unlike any of us will ever experience. Is Jesus sowing seeds? His apostles, uh, John and Jesus' mother are right there. Jesus says to her, Behold your son, meaning John. And he says to John, Behold your mother. He's sowing seeds. Even in the midst of those tears, in the midst of that pain, we could rewind as Jesus hangs on the cross and there's, there's a person on each cross next to him. Is he sowing seeds? Yeah, one of them. One of them went with him. And and Christian, you doing this, you you being faithful, you uh, sowing in tears, you continually going forth while you're weeping, bearing precious seed, you doing that may be the very thing that God intends in what you're going through, the reason he's having you go through it. How are unbelievers or, or how are young in the faith believers, how are they ever going to learn what it means to faithfully follow Jesus in sorrow if you and I don't sow in tears? And if we quit or if we hide every time uh, something comes our way when God wants us to continually go forth weeping, bearing precious seed. So church, um, don't ever lose the amazing aspect of God's grace to us in Jesus. In the opening verses of this song reminded us uh, when, when we think about the deliverance we have in Jesus Christ that should always result in true joy for us and a joy that doesn't pass like mere human happiness but when that's solid enough to impact our demeanor because we've been delivered and that joyful demeanor it, it can be used of God in the deliverance of others they might want to understand why you have that joy it can cause them to ask about to seek Jesus for the hope that we have and joy can do that, but so can sorrow. That's what the last two verses of, these, of this song is talking about. God uses both of those because he uses our dependent on him dependable service and he uses our unshakable faith in him. And for the Christian who does that, Jesus, what he demands in making disciples in these last two verses, don't miss out on the promise. There is a shall reap in joy. That's there. It says there's a doubtless joy of bringing your sheaves with you for the Christian who will. And then what it says doubtless, so don't doubt that God can do it. Tommy, praise team, would you come up and lead us in uh, some songs to praise God for?